There was a chilling headline in the news last month that has left people across the world shocked and baffled. The headline read, 28 girls at a school in Colombia had to be rushed to the hospital after they played with a Ouija board and began losing consciousness. Concerned school directors and teachers watched in horror as all 28 girls began fainting, suffering horrifying panic attacks, and other symptoms after using the Ouija board. Officials, as well as the girls' parents, all accompanied them as they were admitted to the emergency room. And the incident is being investigated, and all 28 girls were monitored and received treatment. Some are shocked by this headline and immediately looked for a logical answer. Some said, oh, this was just a bad case of mass hysteria. Others jumped to an even more unbelievable explanation saying, oh, these young girls probably just skipped breakfast. Many others are not surprised by this headline in the slightest. Since the Ouija board's release in the late 1800s here in the United States, the boards have become a fixture in society due to the board's alleged ability to communicate with the dead. Very popular in the occult, these boards are viewed as fascinating and mystical devices that can open doors to the spirit world. But this device isn't a game, and by playing around with the Ouija board, you may be opening a door that you aren't strong enough to close. And the history of the board is as mysterious as the device itself. I think it can be best summarized as this. Decades and decades ago, the distributors of the first Ouija board sat down in a seance and asked the board what they should call it. The group watched as the planchettes spelled out the name Ouija. And when they asked what that meant, the board replied, good luck. So was this just a mysterious sentiment or was this some kind of warning? This is Avery After Dark and I am your host, Avery Ross. For all of you who enjoy the show, if you'd be so kind to leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts and share Avery After Dark with your friends and family, I really appreciate all your support. And I've got to say, from all the messages I receive from you guys, one of the most common and popular topics is Ouija boards. I get so many questions about the boards, what they do, if they're real. And so along with the recent headlines, I thought we need to dive into this. So we're talking everything Ouija boards, everything 19th century American spiritualism, and we're also going to cover lots of the cases and true accounts associated with the Ouija boards. So buckle up, because this episode is going to be an eerie one. As I said, the true origin of the Ouija board as we know it today is almost as mysterious as the board itself. The Ouija board, also known as a spirit board or talking board, is a flat board marked with the letters of the alphabet, numbers 0 through 9, the words yes and no, and also hello and goodbye. There's various other symbols and graphics on the board, and the device uses a planchette, which is a small heart-shaped piece of wood or plastic, as a movable indicator to spell out the messages during a session or a seance. Participants place their hands on the planchette, ask a question, and then wait to see who or what spirit begins to communicate supernaturally through the board. A historian named Robert Murch said he began looking into the history and backstory of the board in 1992, and upon starting his research, he was surprised by what he found. Well, in fact, what he didn't find. He said no one really knew anything concrete about its origins. 
Research could never provide any sort of exact inventor, time, or place where this mysterious board was first constructed. And this is strange. For such an iconic device that has so strongly influenced the culture, there were reports and mentions of automatic writing methods and communication with the spirit world dating back to 1100 AD, and even before then. We all know, we as humans have always been fascinated with what happens after death. But the true exact origin of the Ouija board as we know it today remains a big question mark. Here is what we do know. The Ouija board as we know it today seemed to come straight out of America's obsession with spiritualism in the 19th century. Spiritualism, which is the belief that the living can communicate with the dead, had been circulating for years in Europe, but hit America in 1848 and made a huge impact. American modern spiritualism is believed to have began in the 1840s in a small town in New York and quickly grew to be one of the greatest and most divisive religious movements of the 19th century. Nearly all historians point to the movement beginning in 1848 in Hydesville, New York, where sisters Maggie and Kate Fox began communicating with the spirit in their home through rappings and knockings. Word quickly spread, and these girls became a phenomenon. Before long, they were communicating with spirits all around the nation in front of hundreds of audience members. Soon, spiritual mediums could be found in almost every town. It seemed that America had found a new religion, and it showed no signs of stopping. But why? Why were people so interested in talking with the dead? Why this overwhelming fascination with the spirit world? Well, many reasons. The spiritualist movement offered comfort and solace in an era where the average lifespan was less than 50 years. Think about that for a second. Less than 50 years old. In today's world, where most people live to see their 70s, 80s, and 90s, back in this time period, lifespans were cut nearly in half. So this movement, spiritualism, gained massive popularity with people who were desperate to connect with deceased loved ones. They wanted to know that their immortal souls were at peace. They wanted closure. They yearned for answers. And in this time period, it wasn't just that people were dying young. It was how they were dying. In this era, men died in war. Women died in childbirth. And many of all ages, including young kids and infants, died of disease. And before the war, there was an idea and a practice of a good death. A good death meant that all aspects of the dying process were done at home. When a loved one died, they were surrounded by family and friends. But war robbed people of the chance to be at a loved one's side during their final moments here on Earth, and they didn't get a chance to say goodbye. So therefore, grieving wives, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, were desperate for even the slightest possibility of communication with their deceased loved one. They hoped, wished, and prayed that maybe, just maybe, they could make contact with them. Get one last conversation. So, attempting to communicate with the dead became a normal thing. It was a completely acceptable activity and pastime. It wasn't seen as weird or creepy. People would regularly try to contact spirits at parties, through seances. Also through automatic writing, mediums, table-turning parties. Many gravitated towards spiritualism because it believed in the immortality of the soul. Meaning, death isn't the end. And different from other traditional religions, it didn't call for blind faith. 
skeptics could see concrete proof of an afterlife by attending a seance. And this movement was also a big moment for women, because spiritualism was one of the only ways where women were allowed to speak in public, hold mass audiences. And many female mediums used spiritualism as a way to bring forward new ideas about equal rights and women's suffrage. The mediums claimed that these weren't their ideas, but rather messages from the spirit realm. And spiritualism made it all the way to the White House. We discussed this in the Haunted White House episode on the podcast, but we know that even Mary Todd Lincoln, wife of President Abraham Lincoln, conducted seances in the White House after their 11-year-old son died of fever in 1862 during the Civil War. After her son's death, Mary Todd Lincoln was in despair and used seances as a way to try and reach her son. By the end of the Civil War, it's reported that nearly 11 million people subscribed to spiritualism and 35,000 were practicing mediums. In the northern parts of America, spiritualism became its own religion, where southern spiritualists believed that spirit communication was one part of evangelical Christianity. So instead of communicating with the dead in a seance, southern spiritualists received heavenly messages at revivals and meetings. So if you're the type of person who is interested in the supernatural, someone who questions the world as we know it. Just know that it's likely that one of your ancestors was wondering the same exact things when they were here on Earth. History proves time and time again that we are all so connected spiritually. And how amazing is that? As the spiritualism movement is taking over, in 1886, the fledgling Associated Press reported on a new phenomenon taking over spiritualist camps in Ohio. There were rumors and rumblings about a talking spirit board. The board had letters, numbers, and a planchette-like device to point to them. This article was far-reaching, and a man by the name of Charles Kennard of Baltimore, Maryland, came upon the article, and he saw dollar signs. Charles was not a spiritualist, but was motivated by the fact that he knew if he could manufacture these boards and sell them, he could make a killing. In 1890, he pulled together a group of four other investors, including a man named Elijah Bond, a local attorney, and Colonel Washington Bowie, a surveyor, to start the Kennard Novelty Company to exclusively make and market these new talking boards. Again, none of these investors were spiritualists. They were businessmen, and they'd identified a niche and wanted to make a profit. They knew if given the chance, people would run to the stores for these boards. But first, they had to decide something pivotal. They couldn't just call it the talking board. They had to figure out how to market it, and most importantly, what to name the mysterious board. According to historians, it was one of the board's investors, Elijah Bond's sister-in-law, who came up with the name. Her name was Helen Peters, and she was known to be a powerful medium. So one evening, they conducted a seance. A group sat around the table with the spirit board and asked it what they should call it. The planchette began to quickly spell out a word. O-U-I-J-A. Helen, Elijah, and the others at the table looked at each other with confusion, unsure of what the word meant. They took their inquiry to the board, asking it, What does this word, Ouija, mean? And the board replied, G-O-O-D, 
L-U-C-K. Good luck. What this group of investors were about to unveil to the world was a device that could act as a door to the supernatural. A door that many wanted to open, some out of sheer curiosity or boredom, others wishing they could communicate with a past loved one. But they failed to consider one thing, that this device was also a door for darker spirits, demons. And once opened, that door can be very hard to close. The investors had their device, they had their name, Ouija board, and now they were ready to unleash it to the world. In February 1891, the first few advertisements started appearing in the papers. It read, Ouija, the wonderful talking board. A Pittsburgh toy and novelty shop was one of the first to sell the board and described it as a magical device that answered questions about the past, present, and future with marvelous accuracy. They also promised never-failing amusement and recreation for all the classes. This board was a link between the known and the unknown, the visible and the invisible. Another ad in a New York newspaper declared it interesting and mysterious, and it didn't matter who you were, rich or poor, you could run to the store and purchase the Ouija board for $1.50. What a steal, am I right? The mysterious talking board was basically what's sold in stores today, a flat board with letters and numbers, yes and no in the uppermost corners, and goodbye at the bottom. The idea behind the game was that two or more people would sit around the board, place their fingertips on the planchette, pose a question, and watch in awe as the planchette moved from letter to letter, spelling out the answers on its own accord. Notably, the investor's first patent didn't really explain how the board worked. It just said that it does. The reason they didn't include such a big detail was because this was a moneymaker for them. They didn't care why or how people thought it worked. All they cared about were sales. And once the board landed on the shelves, it was massively popular, selling out left and right. The Kennard Novelty Company grew from one factory in Baltimore to two in New York, two in Chicago, and one in London, if that gives you any idea how much money they were making off of this board. The company grew in the years past, and the public would argue back and forth about who really invented the game as rival boards launched and ultimately failed. The 1910s and 20s saw a particular surge in purchasing of the Ouija board. As with the Civil War, World War I ushered in a brand new wave of interest in the supernatural with people again clinging to anything to connect with their loved ones. And World War I introduced the world to new nightmares and horrors of trench warfare. Families were grief-stricken and yearning to hear from their family members again. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of the world-famous detective Sherlock Holmes, was an avowed spiritualist. He was known to travel around the world, giving lectures to comfort grieving family members. He provided solace to his audiences, saying that, quote, "...departed all agree that passing is usually both easy and painless, and followed by an enormous reaction of peace and ease." End quote. So try and put yourself in the shoes of a mother who had just lost her son or all of her sons in the war. To hear this, that their death was most likely painless and they're now at peace— this kind of news was music to their ears in the midst of their overwhelming grief. And during this time, Ouija boards were used almost daily by some. 
The device was so accepted in society that in May 1920, Norman Rockwell, the famous American painter and illustrator, depicted a man and a woman on their knees using a Ouija board to communicate with the dead on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. It was clear that this board was heavily influencing society and those who used it. For example, in 1921, the New York Times reported that a Chicago woman was sent to a psychiatric hospital. There, she tried to explain to doctors that she wasn't insane, but instead, she told doctors that she used a Ouija board and the spirits had told her to leave her mother's dead body in the living room for 15 days before burying her in the backyard. Yeah. Another example, in 1930, newspapers reported on two women from Buffalo, New York, who'd murdered another woman, supposedly on the encouragement of a Ouija board message. Of course, with the rise of the boards, there were many fraudsters who used spiritualism to their advantage. It was revealed later that the Fox sisters, who were at the forefront of the spiritualist movement and enjoyed years of success as mediums, later confessed it was all a hoax. They said they manufactured the knocking and rappings with their joints and their feet and knuckles. The legitimacy of spiritualism and Ouija boards as a whole has always been up for debate. Many skeptics outing scam artists trying to make a quick buck off the movement. But one thing that's not up for debate, many people were using the board to make life-changing decisions. In 1941, a 23-year-old gas station attendant from New Jersey told the New York Times that he joined the army because the Ouija board told him to. And get this, in 1958, a Connecticut court decided not to honor the Ouija board will of Mrs. Helen Dow Peck. Mrs. Peck left $152,000 to Mr. John Gale Forbes. Lucky Mr. Forbes, huh? Well, not really. Mr. Forbes was a bodiless spirit who'd contacted her via the Ouija board. Yikes. We'll be right back. You're back with Avery After Dark. Before we get back to the episode, I have an Avery After Dark recommendation for you guys. If you're looking for intelligent, unbiased, and digestible content that isn't overpowering, subscribe to Gazette Gal for free. They're one of the fastest growing communities of over 6,000 empowered women. Gazette Gal's goal is to inspire and inform women by delivering blog posts and a daily newsletter to keep you up to date and inspired. They cover topics ranging from fashion and finance to lifestyle and wellness. With a mission to empower women in living to their fullest potential, Gazette Gal has launched their Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign. By joining, you could win amazing rewards such as a VIP package, a chat with the founders, a digital planner, and you can even become a founding member. Check it out, I've linked the site in the show notes. I wanted to give this a special shout out because Gazette Gal was founded by one of our amazing listeners. I love you guys and love to promote the amazing things you all are doing in the world as well. Now, back to the show. During the Great Depression, another time of immense despair in America, more Ouija board factories opened to meet demand for the boards. Ouija boards were flying off the shelves. Over five months in 1944, a single New York department store sold 50,000 boards. And there were many depictions of the Ouija board in the media, especially TV. In an I Love Lucy episode in 1951, Lucy and Ethel host a seance using the board. And in the show's typical fashion, it was comedic. 
Somewhat spooky, but mostly lighthearted and more of a joke. Time passed, and in 1967, the year after Parker Brothers bought the game, two million boards were sold. This completely outsold Monopoly. And why was this? A reason would be people saw more American troops in Vietnam, the counterculture of summer love in San Francisco, and race riots in Newark, Detroit, Minneapolis, and Milwaukee. But it wasn't until the 1970s when the connotations and feelings about the Ouija board changed drastically. There was a drastic shift in 1973 with the film The Exorcist. Based on a true story in which a young girl was possessed by a demon after playing with the Ouija board, her mother enlists the help of priests to try and save her daughter. And this film scared the daylights out of audiences, and people's perception of the game changed. Nearly overnight, the Ouija board became a tool of the devil and demons and darker entities. It wasn't a funny sitcom plotline anymore. The Ouija board itself began popping up in horror movies. I mean, you just know, when people bust out a Ouija board in a scary movie, it's about to get real bad, real quick. Ed and Lorraine Warren, well-known paranormal investigators, spoke out about the board and said, this was a way to invite unwanted entities into your life. And many have compared the game to Jumanji, the film starring the ever-so-talented Robin Williams. In the movie, as many of you know, Robin Williams' character Alan Parrish, a young boy, finds a mysterious board game that had been buried for a hundred years. Intrigued by it, he brings it home, later sits down with a friend and begins playing it, but becomes sucked into the game for decades. Once starting the game, a door was opened and the door was nearly impossible to close. Obviously, this was just a plot to a fantastical movie, but many have compared the game to the Ouija board and its effects on people's lives after playing. Despite warnings, over the decades, the Ouija board has continued success in sales. In recent years, it's still been marketed as a mysterious and fun family pastime. Obviously, our lifespan as humans has extended, but we're still just as curious as ever as to what comes after death. Research has indicated that the Ouija market is anyone and everyone. People yearn to believe in something more powerful, and the Ouija board has been used more frequently in times of grief and uncertainty in society. Many, including religious groups, have denounced the board entirely. Catholic.com calls the Ouija board far from harmless, and many other pastors, priests, and ministers say that demons can reach us through the board. Once seen as a fascinating dinner party pastime, is now feared and avoided by many, and for good reason. In a murder trial of a man named Joshua Tucker, his mother insisted that he had carried out the murders while possessed by the devil. 16-year-old Joshua was charged with killing a mother and daughter and said that he talked to Satan for about 45 minutes through a Ouija board before the devil possessed him. After the murders, when the cops showed up, Joshua said he was speaking in tongues and saying stuff about the future and God. Another example was London in 1994. Convicted murderer Stephen Young was granted a retrial after it was learned that four of the jurors had conducted a Ouija board seance and had, quote, contacted the murdered man. During the seance, the spirit named Young as his killer. At the retrial, Stephen Young was convicted for a second time and was in prison for life. And these boards were back in the headlines again with last month's incident. 
where 28 girls at a school in Colombia were frantically rushed to the ER after they played with the Ouija board. The girls reportedly began fainting, feeling dizzy, having increasingly insufferable panic attacks. Many parents were interviewed and noted that these girls had no history of this kind of behavior. They weren't sick and they were not ill. An NYPD cop turned exorcist named Chris DeFlorio said the girls opened a doorway to evil. Chris travels the U.S. performing exorcisms and also rids homes and individuals of evil spirits. He was a police officer in New York for 19 years and now works full-time as an exorcist. His tools are exclusively the Bible and prayer. And he says that his skills are from his Catholic faith as well as his years and years of police training and time on duty. Chris believes that this incident was not a one-off. His theory is there's something evil in the area that is targeting children spiritually. Because this wasn't the only case of this nature. There was another case where a teen girl used a Ouija board and began communicating with someone or something, then stood up, began speaking a strange ancient language, and then began hitting your brother with a stick. Another report stated that a group of teens used a Ouija board and afterwards began vomiting and suffering from intense abdominal pain and muscle spasms. Chris has studied these cases and stated that in many of these, those affected are taken to the hospital and often dismissed as food poisoning. Chris and many others do not believe it's food poisoning. They believe there's something much more sinister at play. It's clear that something deeply affected and changed these young kids while playing with the Ouija board. And they aren't the only ones. Let's get into some other true accounts from people who have used the Ouija board for one reason or another. A woman named Sarah from Massapequa, New York wrote, A friend of mine brought a Ouija board to a sleepover, and I had never played with one, so I was really excited to try it. My two friends eventually got bored of it as the night wore on, so I wanted to ask one last question. I asked the board, do you have any questions for us? It answered, yes. I asked, what's your name? It answered, Abe. My friends and I immediately joked that it was Abraham Lincoln. I asked, who do you want to talk to? It then answered, Erica. Erica is my mother's name, but she was downstairs and completely not involved in the game. I then asked, what do you want to say to her? And it answered, wish I knew her. This was so incredibly specific, I couldn't imagine what it meant. I ran downstairs to find my mom and asked her if she knew anyone named Abe. She said yes, her grandfather was named Abe, but he died years before she was even born. Up until that point, I didn't know my great-grandfather's name and my friends certainly didn't either. This next account is much more unsettling. Tammy from Holly Springs, North Carolina wrote, My sister and I messed around with a Ouija board a few times when we were teenagers. And every time we used the board, we seemed to communicate with the same spirit named Ed. Ed constantly threatened our younger brother during the sessions, even though our brother, who was only four or five years old at the time, was nowhere near us. It scared us so much that we threw out the board. We never mentioned a word of this to our brother. A few years later, our brother brought home a friend's Ouija board. After he and a friend used the board a few times, he told us he was a little freaked out because a spirit named Ed kept threatening him. What? 
Our mother banned Ouija boards from the house after that incident. Now that will give you chills. The next account came from a group of teens who used the board for some fun, but ended up receiving a stern warning from whoever or whatever was on the other side of the board. User StrangeObjects123 wrote on a website thread and said, A few years ago, my friends decided to try this out with a group of guys. We were in the 12th grade at the time. My group of girls had messed around with a Ouija board before, to varying degrees of success. This time, it was my hands on the planchette with my other friend. The thing was moving crazy fast, faster than I had ever seen, and seemed to be getting quite agitated by the group of guys who we were with who were joking around and not taking it seriously. It essentially told them to shut up and stop talking. I told the guys, seriously, please stop being rude, I'm kind of freaked out. Because I was getting nervous. One of the guys took over, he was a bit more serious about it. Almost immediately, the thing spelled out, don't open the door. Well, we were all in the basement and there was only one door. So we all kind of looked over at it nervously. Because I was getting anxious, I took the blanket and kind of hid my face. The board then immediately spelled out, don't hide from me. At this point, everyone was freaked out. The guy who had his hands on the planchette literally started to cry. He wanted to take his hands off but we have this rule that you don't take your hands off until you say goodbye. Everyone wanted to stop, but it took about 10 minutes of asking dumb questions until the thing finally slid to goodbye. Some of the guys speculated afterwards that it meant don't open the metaphorical door to the spiritual world, which made sense. Whew, I got chills. Do you? We'll be right back. You're back with Avery After Dark. I now want to talk about one of the scariest aspects of the Ouija board, and that is Zozo. Zozo is known as the Ouija board demon. This demon is summoned through the use of Ouija boards and also other forms of communication. Zozo is rumored to have been the demon who possessed Roland Doe when the boy used the board in 1951. He was eventually exorcised after a violent and intense process by priests. This demonic entity will mimic the voices of the dead who the user of the board wishes to connect with. So for example, a grieving wife may turn to the board to contact her deceased husband. Zozo will come through, begin manipulating the board, and will mimic the husband. Zozo will bring up intimate details about him, the widow, gaining the board user's trust in order to gain entry into this world and into the user's life. Zozo, this demon, is cruel and will prey on the user's fears and insecurities. They know the user is desperate and grieving and he will use it to manipulate and terrorize them. Zozo's been known to play tricks on mediums and psychics. He's also very misogynistic and despises women. There are frequent reports of Zozo telling users they will die soon. He loves watching his victims squirm with confusion and oftentimes takes pleasure when one gullible human believes his lies. He's a demon, so he's a master manipulator and deceives. Some other encounters with Zozo besides Roland Doe was in 1972 in Los Angeles. A mother named Doris Blyther used a Ouija board and found herself haunted by a dark entity which sought her and her family harm. Another really notable example is the Enfield Poltergeist in Enfield, England. This story was the basis of The Conjuring 2, where a family was plagued by a malevolent force. 
Another example was fairly recent, in 2012, in Tombstone, Nevada. A small group of soldiers were off-duty and decided to mess around with the Ouija board for fun. During their session, they made contact with an alleged spirit who told them that he had died in Tombstone. They didn't think much of it, but on the way back, one of the men became possessed and almost killed the others in a car crash before the demon left him and he later regained consciousness. This is really what I mean when I say, don't mess around with Ouija boards. You don't want to take the chance. It's all real. And I want to confide with you all. While recording this episode, I've had some strange stuff happen. About 10 minutes ago, my cell phone, which is across the room from me, my Siri turned on out of the blue and began speaking, and it said, here's what I found for search results on demons opening doorways. That has never happened to me, ever, filming a podcast. And along with that, I've had some strange technological issues that I haven't ever noticed before. So, yeah, it's all real. And the thing is, I understand why people have and do turn to Ouija boards, aside from the device being used as a game and seen as a fun pastime. I truly understand the pain of yearning and grieving over losing a loved one and wanting to connect with them. I get it, believe me, I've been there. But Ouija boards are not the way. I covered Zozo, but he is only one of the numerous other demons that have been reported that use the Ouija board as an entrance to users' lives. The way I connect to my past loved ones, my friends and family who have crossed over and are on the other side, is by praying and talking to them. I connect with them through God, through spirit, through the light, and through prayer. That's where the love is, that's where the truth is, and that's what you should seek. You'll be amazed how often you'll see and feel their presence in your daily life if you ask them to show themselves. Because I truly believe you don't need a board to talk to your loved ones, because they are all around you every moment. So if you want to talk to them, just talk to them. They're listening. Until next episode, this is Avery After Dark.